I am glad you all are here with us today. Welcome. And uh, welcome to a new year, which brings us to a, a new series of sermons. And we are going to be spending some time going through the parables of Jesus here at the, the beginning of the year through, well, probably the first half of the year, digging into quite a few of them. And, and we're starting this new series. Now, you may have heard that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's simple and it's easy, and, and, and it's an easy definition to remember when we try to think about what a parable is. A parables, they occur over 40 times, and that word occurs over 40 times in the New Testament. Its word itself is a, is a compound of two Greek words, para and balo. Para, which means beside, and balo, which means to throw. So when you put these two together, it means to throw something beside something. So you're going to throw beside something here. So we're, the idea is that we are going to take a comparison of some sort and put those together so that we can have a better understanding. A parable has this idea of a story then that is thrown beside a real-life situation to help us get a better grasp on what God is wanting us to know. So when we hear Jesus speak in these parables, if we think it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, you're kind of headed in the right direction. It's not a real-life situation, but yet it seems like it could be a real-life situation. But the idea is, is it's giving us an understanding of something that is beyond this earthly world, but also has a heavenly connotation to it. Now, not every part of a parable is a spiritual truth, and we'll get into some of those as we dig into our parables this year. For example, there's the parable of the, the prodigal son, the son who took off and he took everything with him, he squandered in wild living, and he finds himself eating the food that the pigs have. Well, the, the food that the pigs would eat, there's no special meaning to it other than it's just food that pigs would eat. But some people try to figure out, well, what really is that? That's just food that pigs eat, all right? There's nothing cryptic about it. So when you're reading parables, what we need to pay attention to is we're not looking for all sorts of hidden messages, and yet there is a hidden message in there. Rather, it's, it's a teaching that's going to help us clarify what God wants us to know. There are approximately, I said, 40 parables of Jesus. We're not going to take a look at all of them. Uh, we're just going to take a look at some of the major ones here uh, this year. Primarily, they are found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John doesn't have any parables written in it. Matter of fact, Mark only has five parables, four of which are identified in Matthew and Luke. And so the only leaves really one parable that is by itself for Mark. And the rest are all really primarily discovered in the books of Matthew and Luke. Now, in all the Gospels, the first what they would call full-scale parable, where there's a major teaching that he begins to use this, is found in the book of Matthew chapter 13. And that's where we're going to kind of look at today, but not the parable. But in the middle of the parable and its explanation he takes a little section here in Matthew 13, 10 through 17, and he explains to his disciples why he teaches in parables. So what is the purpose of the parable? That's what they're asking. Matter of fact, in Matthew 13, 10, his disciples came to him and, and they said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he's going to give them his answer. 
And in answering the question, he's going to teach his disciples the purpose behind his new method of teaching that he's going to use here on out as he travels through Galilee and through Judah, Judea. All right. Now, I don't know if you ever remember the, the classic television show, Leave it to Beaver. I was actually watching it this past week a little bit. And uh, Leave it to Beaver is, is a fun show. It, it seems like Beaver, this young boy, he's always getting himself into trouble as he's learning life's lessons. And, and, and his older brother has got to help him through these. And mom and dad are wise and, and they're caring and they're loving and they try to help him understand different things. Well, one of the times Beaver, he disobeys his parents regarding a pet rabbit that they had captured and it had babies, and the rabbit's name was Henry until it had babies, and it became Henrietta, all right? Um, and Beaver, he could not leave the baby bunnies alone. He had to, had to get in and hold them. Well, the problem arose that Mama Bunny, Henrietta, no longer would go to those baby bunnies because they don't smell like her baby bunnies. So Beaver goes to a wise older gentleman, Gus the fireman. I remember he's just an elderly guy in his 80s, and he was a skinny, and he was slow at talking, but he was wise in the way that he communicated. And so Beaver went to him, and he found out the reason why is because he touched the bunnies. But Gus gives him an, an indication of what he can do to help remedy this situation. And so he says, you need to use talcum powder and put it on the bunnies, and you need to put some vanilla on the mama's nose. That way all the bunnies will smell like the same, and she will take them again. That was wise advice from Gus. It was just a practical guy who knew how to apply the wisdom of life to the everyday setting. The thing that differentiates smart people from wise people is that wise people are able to apply their smarts to life. That's where a parable leaves us. So the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, why do you speak in parables? And when he gave them the answers, they should have completely understood, but yet they don't quite get it. But we'll dig into that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 10, and we're going to read through verse 17. Then the disciples came to him, and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed un never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, 
and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In answer to Jesus' disciple, he tells them that his use of parable was basically for three main reasons that we can pull out of this passage of Scripture. First off, Jesus spoke in parable to reveal to them truths, or he says secrets, to his disciples. Let's go back to verse 11. That's what he says. He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Some things are just simply meant to be mysterious or or secretive of God. And Jesus begins by saying, I speak in parables, basically, so you'll get it and they won't. There, there's almost this hidden language this, that, they, that people just really can't perceive or understand, but yet others, they know what it is. You know, sometimes in, in your life there are just certain words or phrases or statements or locations or places that have a really deep meaning for you. And it's like an inside joke. And all of a sudden you get it, but everybody else doesn't understand. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. You're going to get it, but they aren't. The Apostle Paul kind of puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 2, verse 14. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now that's the English Standard Version. The, the New Living Translation puts it this way. But people who aren't spiritual, they can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. I mean, it all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. I mean, he's basically saying, you've got to be in crowd here to get it. And if you're not part of the in crowd, it's not going to make any sense to you. You've got to have the Spirit of God in your life for this to become a reality to you. So this misunderstanding comes from a, I guess we could say, a misperception that anybody simply can, by nature, pick up the Bible, read it, understand it fully, and and be able to just operate that way. But that's not the truth. Matter of fact, we'll find out that the Scripture is somewhat hidden from people, especially when we're dealing with the Old Testament prophecies pointing out to Christ, They just didn't see it. Jesus says, it's not so fast. The reason I speak in parables is because the kingdom of God is a mystery. There is something special about it. It's totally and completely unlike anything else this world has ever seen. And humanity doesn't really get it. And because they've never imagined what God really wants in this. And until they're born again, he will use that terminology later on, until they're born again, they're not going to be able to understand these things because their minds are not spiritually renewed and they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside them to fully get it. The word Jesus uses here is mysterion, which means mystery or secret. So he actually is saying that this, this, he's speaking in parable because the word of God really is a mystery. There's something secret about it. 
And concerning the kingdom of God, it's not obvious, nor is it simple. A mystery does not, does not uh, refer to something that, however, is inscrutable or unknowable, because some people will know that. Some people get the secret. They get the understanding. A mystery does not refer to that, but one which is withdrawn from knowledge or from a manifestation, it, it cannot be known without special revelation to them somehow. Jesus periodically told his disciples about the necessity of his leaving earth and going back to heaven, that he would have to go, and if he did not go, they would not be able to get the Spirit. He would speak about that, and that the Spirit would come and would be their guide to all of the truth of God. Yet prior to his death, his burial, resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, they didn't get it. It seems like they weren't even listening to him. They should have been fully aware that this was going to happen. When Jesus spoke about his upcoming death and his resurrection, Peter basically said, that's not happening on my watch. Anybody tries to do that, and I'm going to take him out. I've got a sword. And even when it began to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does Peter do? He pulls out that sword, and he's ready to fight to the end. And he takes a swipe at one of the guys there. But Jesus says, no, 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 <laughs> put away the sword. You, you, you still don't understand. You still don't get it. I mean, they'd spent three years, day and night with him, and they still didn't get it. Jesus told them up front what was going to happen and why. But it wasn't until the Spirit was invested in them that everything made full, complete sense. And then they were able to tie back what he had said and when and what he had done. And it's like, oh my goodness, we see all these things now working in the play. The religious leader Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he didn't get it either, but yet he wanted to. And he wanted to go and spend some time with Jesus, and so he sought him out for a special conversation. And, and, and Nicodemus, he doesn't understand why Jesus is doing what he's doing and why he's teaching the way he's teaching, and he asked him some questions so that he could clarify what it is that's going on. And, and Jesus says, well, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, I, I don't get it. How can a man go back into his mother's womb? That can't happen. Listen what he says in John 3.10. Jesus answered him, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Nicodemus, you're a man who has been studying the Word of God, so much so that you are to be a teacher of people, and you still don't get it? He just, Jesus went on to tell him why, because he says these things are spiritually discerned, and he wasn't quite there yet. Apostle Paul said that this mystery is the hidden wisdom of God. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, but we, Paul and the other apostles, he says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. We're unveiling for you something that has been hidden, something that is in secret, something that has been a mystery that God hid ages ago. 
And now it's being revealed for our glory. This is what the gospel is. Paul isn't just speaking with about words, but words of wisdom, but not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. And he's unveiling it before them so they might see the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. A mystery is a truth that's been hidden and has to be revealed in order to be understood up so that we can see it and understand it. It's a truth that is supernaturally revealed through the illumination of the Holy Spirit who will guide us into understanding it. So when we read the Word of God, we have to be seeking it through Christ. Otherwise, things are still hidden. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul lays out, why this has been a problem. It has been a mystery. It's been a secret for ages past. But he's telling us, but now through Jesus Christ, that which has been hidden in him has been all of a sudden revealed. And we can only see it in its fullness and understand it in truth is when we see it in Christ through the Holy Spirit. You've got to have that to understand the parable. Another reason Jesus spoke in parables is that if he had spoken directly and he had told them exactly who he was and why he had come, they would have tried to kill him immediately, which is just what they did when they finally figured some things out. He's saying he is. In Nazareth, when Jesus was invited to speak in his hometown synagogue, he opens up the book of Isaiah and he begins to read to them. And then he says... What you have heard today has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he just told them, I'm the Messiah. And then he goes on, he says, but a prophet is without honor in his hometown. So what do they do? They pick up stones and they're going to try and kill him. They try to run him off and throw him off the precipice of a mountain there. But he gets away. See, later at the end of his ministry, when he's on trial, Jesus speaks plainly to the Pharisees, to the scribes, the teachers of the law there at Caiaphas' house. And when he spoke plainly, all of a sudden they scream, they tear their robes, and they say, crucify him. So the message concerning the kingdom of God is not something that is obvious, but it is a mystery. And our world doesn't get it. But they will if we take it to them and we introduce them to the Spirit of God. See, Jesus also tells us that He spoke in parables to keep things hidden from unbelievers. And that makes it difficult for me to understand. Why would He do that? Most think that the main hindrances to understanding the mysteries of God is in in, in kingdom terminology that we need new and more modern terminology to get away from all this doctrinal stuff. And others think that we just need to leave the biblical theology behind and just teach biblical morality, just how to be good and, and to love one another. But those are really hindrances. According to Jesus, there are some problems here. One is the pride of our intellect. We think we're know-it-alls, right? I mean, we, we're smart, we're intelligent, we can figure things out on our own. Listen to what Matthew 13, 13, he says here. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, 
Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You see, the trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees is they were taught to be the men who knew God. They felt they had a full grasp of his understanding of who God was. They knew the law and they knew their, their interpretation of it. And that's why they got nothing out of Jesus' interpretation of the law because it did not mesh with theirs. But everybody else went, wow. He's teaching as someone with authority like we've never heard before. Why, why don't you guys teach like this guy? Ooh, that didn't go over very well. Jesus said a prayer in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25. And he declared this. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You see, it was the know-it-alls, the intellectuals, the, the religious who rejected Jesus, not the everyday man and woman on the street. It was the people who thought they had God in a box and they could describe Him and, and do whatever they wanted. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, but he says this to those who are now in the church, the Christians. He says, I need you to consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You're just the average Joe. And you got it. But when you try to do things through the wisdom of man, there's a difficulty in perceiving the things of God. See, the reason that Paul mentions this is because no one can boast in God's presence. That's what he tells us there in 1 Corinthians 1.29. Intellectual pride is a great obstacle of belief. And, 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 and it hindered us from really understanding why Christ came and what the kingdom of heaven is all about. There's another reason, and it's called prejudice. Matthew 13, 15, Jesus said, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You see, they had hardened their hearts to the truth about who Jesus was. It's not that the terminology and the things that Jesus is saying is wrong. It's, it's outright prejudiced against Him and His gospel message. It's against the Bible. It's against God. And it's the idea that He rules and reigns over all of us when most of us think that we rule and reign over our own actions and our own hearts and lives. Notice he says the people, they deliberately shut their eyes. They closed their ears. They hardened or made their hearts dull. They've dismissed the gospel of Jesus Christ without ever truly hearing it. Today people dismiss the gospel of Christ, the message, without ever giving it a fair hearing as well. And they think they appear more intellectual if they can dismiss Jesus and say he's fake, he's a fraud. Another reason is because they've got a calloused 
hardened heart. Go back there in verse 15. He says, For this people's heart has grown dull. It's an interesting phrase, this phrase, grown dull. When John Wycliffe translated this scripture from the Greek language into the Latin language, he used a word, infatten. Infattened, all right? The picture is of a heart that has just simply too much fat around it where it cannot work properly, right? The word used by Jesus is paxuno. And what it means is to thicken, to fatten, to stupefy or render callous. Some translations will even have wax gross. When your heart is too fat, you just are weak. When it's got water around it and it's compressed and it just doesn't enable it to do the things that it needs to do, you're weak. And, and, and so what's happening here is he says, you've allowed your heart, your understanding, your love for the things of God to be concealed in the fat things of this world that you enjoy those pleasures beyond God. So in his explanation of his first parable, he likened the seed that fell among the thorns as those who had heard the message but had choked it off by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They had become fattened by the things of this world. And they're filled with everything in this world and they were infattened and they haven't had a clue as to what the gospel was saying and so they really can't listen to it and learn from it because they've just engorged themselves of things in this world. But let's look, at, let's look back at that second part of verse 15 here in Matthew 13. He says, in essence, if they had not grown dull, or had they not closed their ears and their eyes, what would happen? They would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and then I would heal them. <clears throat> You see, the great mystery is that God, before the foundation of the world, before anything began, He set forth a plan of salvation. He put it in motion so that when it was time and was needed, it was already there. You see, the Bible is to us this unfolding of God's plan for us, the fulfillment of our redemption. Now, in hindsight, we've got the privilege of being able to look back and see it as it unfolded, they didn't have that ability because it was unfolding before them. For us, we've got this blessing that we can look at that and we can see the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus. You see, the remedy to the problem of sin, God set up in his law with Moses and the people that there should be a sacrifice for that sin. But the ultimate sacrifice was going to come through Jesus and his death on the cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven. And it wasn't just for a chosen few people. This was for anybody in the world who would believe upon him. Listen what John chapter 3 verse 16 through 18 says as Jesus is having that conversation with Nicodemus because Nicodemus just didn't get it. All right? He goes on after telling him you need to be born again. Why? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And usually that's where we stop. Everybody's memorized that. But I tell you what, there's a lot of power in the verses that come after that. Listen as we go on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Paul tells Timothy in his letter to him, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, this is good. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Well, finally, this brings us to the last reason why Jesus speaks in parables. Jesus spoke in parables to fulfill prophecy. Look at verse 34 and 35. <clears throat> he says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Why? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Isaiah says, that the Messiah is going to open his mouth and he's going to speak in parables and he's going to talk about the things that were established and talked about by God himself at the foundation of the world, why all this is happening and what his plan fully is unfolding before them. And so we get this. He's quoting from Psalm 78 verse 2 when he makes this statement. Now the prophecy is out of Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. Jesus uses that to explain his reason for using parables. And it comes from Isaiah's vision of God there in the very throne room of God when Isaiah has this vision of him. We know that in Isaiah 6, the face of God's glorious perfection, Isaiah then fell to the ground. He says, I'm unworthy. I'm unclean. I shouldn't be here. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm filthy with sin. And an angel then took a burning coal and he came and he touched his lips and he cleansed him so that he would be able to be a messenger and speak the truth of God to the people and he would send him out. And when he finally did this, Isaiah volunteered for that great job as a messenger and God's word then was proclaimed. Isaiah was instructed to go to Judah and to speak the truth. But because of Judah's rebellious disbelief in God, Isaiah's teaching would serve as God's instrument of judgment, causing the people to, to in essence, harden and galvanize their ears because they did not want to hear what God had to say. They wanted to do it their own way. And so Judah then was going to go through a point of judgment from God until a more appropriate time would come and he would restore them through Christ just as he restores us. Now, in the Isaiah context, after Jesus' quote, God describes the result of that judgment. It's going to be the devastation of the land. It's going to be the exile of the people that are going to be taken away into captivity, all right? 
but it leaves Judah with the hope of a faithful remnant of people who are going to be true to God. All right? And he calls them a stump. And that upon that stump, the seed, it's a holy seed that is going to begin to grow something back. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 6, 13. He says, and though a tenth remain in it, only 10% of the people will remain in the country. The rest have fled and the rest have been taken captive. He says, it'll be burned again like terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is the stump. You see, there is going to be a period of judgment that is going to be used to purify Judah. Restoring the nation to its original purpose, which was to bring Messiah into the world. So Judah wasn't going to be wiped out and destroyed. There was going to remain a few who would be faithful to God so that eventually it would grow again and fulfill its purpose of Jesus being born. The Lion of Judah. A descendant of David. Now when Jesus' parable would serve the same purpose as Isaiah's teaching, he says, to further harden the hearts of those who willfully disobey God and choose to ignore Him, the hardening of the first century Israel's heart was already well established and their judgment was most certainly deserved because they rejected God. Yet we discovered that the Lord's heart remains open For even those with disbelieving hearts, if they would repent and turn to Him. Now, in in verse 14 of Matthew 13, Jesus uses a double negative. He uses it twice. Ume. Ume. Meaning Israel would by no means absolutely not understand nor perceive the truth that they have been continually seeing, seeing and hearing. It's not that they don't get it. He uses this double negative. They will by no means absolutely not be able to understand this. They will not see it. They cannot see it. They will not hear it. They cannot hear it. There's no way possible. He has hardened this so that they're not going to get it because they have rejected him. Now, you might compare that to a man who knows that his wife is unhappy. All right, she, she lays about 50 hints to him that she wants to go out and eat and have an evening out for some special you know, time together. And she says, boy, that looks like it might be a really neat movie to see. And he's like, uh-huh. That's it. They don't go see it. And then she says something else like, you know, it, what are you doing tomorrow night? You know, well, Nothing. Well, wouldn't it be great to maybe go, you know, do something? And he just doesn't get it. And he kind of looks at her like a caveman and just like, I don't know what what you're saying. All right? Any other person can clearly see what she is doing and why she is saying the things she's saying because she wants to have this intimate time with her husband and he is just clueless. He doesn't get it. That is how Israel was with Jesus. No matter what he said, they were just stupefied. It had been a mystery to them. They were clueless as to why he was saying the things that he was saying. You know, I heard a story a number of years ago about a coal mine that had collapsed.
And the miners had been down in, the, in this, this caved-in shaft for over three days. And, and, and the crew outside was working and drilling and trying to come in to, to get in there to, to rescue them. They knew they had to be in there. And, and so finally, they had been discovered. And, and there was all the whooping and howling and cheering and celebrating and everything. And then one of the guys says, hey, why doesn't somebody light a lantern? And the other guys realized at that moment that he was blind. They all could see, but he couldn't. You see, but in the darkness of the cave-in, nobody knew who was blind and who could see because the darkness veiled everything. It's very similar about the Word of God at times. The Spirit of God enables us to truly understand what He wants us to understand. But we've got to seek it in Christ. And if we're not going to look to understand the Bible through the lens of Jesus, you're blind. Just as Paul says, the veil was still covering their faces. They couldn't see the truth about Jesus because they were spiritually blind. They refused to accept and acknowledge Jesus as who he is. And our world is the same way. To them, this book is just a book. They don't realize it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than a, a double-edged sword and that it has the ability to bring life with it and it can change and transform. They don't get it because they don't perceive Jesus for who he is. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Because there were some things he wanted people to know. And there were some things he didn't want them to know unless they were knowing it through him. And that's the same way it is today. You see, until we begin to look at the word of God through Christ, we'll never fully understand it. We will still be spiritually blind we've got the invitation today as well to come back as Greg speaks to us about being blind in a second from a physical standpoint but there's also a spiritual blindness that takes place in our lives and until we see Jesus we truly don't understand how to live and how he wants us to live Jesus condemned the study of truth without the submission to him who is the truth. When he said in John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, you can read the Bible from cover to cover. But until you want to fully understand it, you won't get there unless you acknowledge who Jesus is. And then he unveils it for you. He removes the hidden, secret, mysterious aspect of it. And until then, it's just a parable. It's just a story. But it's a story 
that can change the world for you. I pray as you begin this year that maybe you will truly consider who Christ is and what he wants from you. And what he wants from you is just your faith and your trust in him. He wants you to surrender to him that which you hold dearest in your heart, your life. He asks that we would die to self and live for him. Allow his spirit to replace our spirit and that it then guides and directs our lives. But you're not going to get that unless you acknowledge that he is who he is, the son of God, the only son of God. And that he is the one who gave his life as a ransom for your sins so that you could find freedom from that. He wants you to acknowledge him, to confess him as Lord. He wants you to, to stop doing the sinfulness that you've been doing in life. All the days that you've been able to understand, I want something and I'm going to get it no matter what. He wants you to be buried into his name in baptism and to rise into a new life, to be born again so that His Spirit can work in you. This is your New Year's challenge. Surrender to Christ. Let's pray.